0: Welcome to the Contraception Pod. I'm Maya and I'm the Catholic.
1: I'm Cassidy and I'm the Protestant. At a gala at Trump Hotel, never meeting each other prior, Cassidy quietly came up to me in the bathroom and said, What are your thoughts on contraception? This question turned into a never-ending discussion that we decided to take on a podcast.
0: So join us as we discuss contraception and how it affects our world. Hi, guys. Welcome to this episode of The Contraception Pod. Today's a Thursday for us, so we hope you all are having a great whatever day of the week you are tuning in. We're super excited today to be having our friend Morgan Reese return to talk to us about birth control and infertility. Morgan, will you tell our listeners more about who you are so that they can either have their memory jogged from last time or hear that first introduction about who you are and why you're joining us?
2: Yeah, of course. So i I am a junior at Bowling Green State, and I'm the president of Falcons for Life, which is our Students for Life chapter. I've been actively involved in the pro-life movement for about two years now, and I'm just very passionate about all the things about birth control that people just don't know. That's awesome. And
0: Morgan is such an incredible resource. I always learn something every time I have a conversation with Morgan about contraception. So Morgan, I can't wait to hear what you have to share with us about this huge topic of contraception and infertility. You know, many people believe that what what contraception really does is it medicates your body into being infertile for a time. And Mm -hmm. many women believe they can be medicated into infertility for a time, but then Mm -hmm. get their fertility back. So I'm curious about your research on contraception and its connection Mm -hmm. to infertility. And if that's really true that for every woman, when she goes on her contraception and she gets right off, is it like a light switch? Like, does she get her fertility back just like she expected?
2: So it's definitely not like a light switch, even though people would like to think that you can just turn it on and off. Um, So the main mechanism in birth control is to shut down ovulation, because if there's no egg, then there's nothing to be fertilized. Even if there were to be, you know, sperm looking for an egg, if there's no egg there, then it can't be fertilized. So Um, One of the things about birth control is that it can cause a form of PCOS. So there are four types of PCOS. And for those of you that don't know, PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, So there are four types. There's insulin resistant, there's post-pill, there's inflammatory, and there's adrenal. So what's really ironic is that sometimes women are put on birth control for PCOS, not knowing that it literally causes a form of PCOS. Um, Granted, the post-pill form is only temporary, but it can last up to two years, which is quite a long time, especially when you're trying to like have babies before you're too old, like, you know, two years is a lot of time. Um, It can also cause spontaneous ovarian cysts, which is a little bit different than PCOS. So PCOS is when you have like chronic ovarian cysts, they're always there, always interfering with ovulation, which is why women with PCOS only get a period like once every three months or so, because the cysts suppress ovulation. Um, But when you have a spontaneous ovarian cyst, that also interferes with ovulation, just not quite as frequent. Um, And then another huge thing that Dr. Jolene Brighton talks about a lot, she's the author of Beyond the Pill, and she's super famous on Instagram. She talks about all the nutrient deficiencies that are caused with the pill. So like I have a list of some of the vitamins and minerals that are depleted. So it's particularly vitamins B2, B6, B12, C, E, and folate, magnesium, zinc, selenium, um, coenzyme Q10, and trypophane, um, which is needed in the brain. So all of these are depleted by hormonal birth control. And you need these for various reasons. So like magnesium is critical for proper estrogen metabolism. And so when you don't have that, you're gonna start to get estrogen dominance, which we'll get into more later, how that cancels out progesterone, which is needed for fertility. Um, And then the B vitamins are needed for eliminating PMS and PMDD. PMDD is premenstrual dysphoric disorder Um, it's also needed for eliminating anxiety, estrogen dominance. Once again, that comes up a lot. Um, and also for bringing back libido and then also vitamin C is necessary for your immune health, progesterone production, eye health, brain health, adrenal hormones, connective tissue growth, young, healthy skin. And so there's just this long list of, um, nutrients that are needed that are just being depleted by birth control.
0: Wow. That's so shocking. Women Mm -hmm. not know that about contraception, Mm -hmm. that when they go on a hormonal form of birth control, that it's impacting so much of their nutrients in their body Mm -hmm. that they're able to take in. Um, And also, when I was listening to the list of nutrients you were naming, several of those have to do with mood. Mm-hmm. So for example, vitamin B12, um, has to do with depression. Personally, I have depression. So I take vitamin B12 to help reduce my depression. So it's mm-hmm. interesting that the contraceptive pill can actually cause women to become significantly more depressed, even possibly suicidal. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes sense when you listen
2: to the type yeah. of nutrient depletion, it causes why that might happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another big one, people talk a lot about folate being needed for pregnancy people are talking about needing to take supplements in addition to prenatal vitamins that you need folate to get pregnant. That's also depleted by birth control. So um, wow. folate is also called vitamin B9 and that's needed for the production of DNA and other genetic materials and for cell division. Like think about what's needed during pregnancy, like just so many cells dividing, mm-hmm. so many things being developed. And if you don't have cell division, that. That's like the big thing you need for pregnancy, wow. right?
0: That's insane.
2: And you know, when I was in, uh, I believe, developmental
0: psychology class in college, we talked about how almost like it could be a human rights injustice for women not to be able to get like the nutrients they need when they're pregnant. So, for mm-hmm. example, in developing countries when women don't get enough, is it folate? Is that folate? I'm not sure. Folate, yeah, folate. Yeah. Um, women can their children and actually can have like neural tube disorders. So, like you can have. Yeah. problems with the development of the baby's brain that are a hundred percent preventable. And that's actually Mm -hmm. why they changed the way they develop bread. So actually Mm -hmm. they put folate in our bread Mm -hmm. now. So if you go make yourself a sandwich, you're actually eating Mm -hmm. folate. And they put that originally in um, processed bread because they knew that Mm -hmm. women were not getting enough of that. And that was causing these neural tube disorders in babies in the womb. So it's amazing that when you take that contraceptive pill, and if you get off and you get pregnant quickly, you know, you could be you know, your your body ain't able to provide the fully your child needs to have good, healthy neurodevelopment, it sounds like.
2: Yeah. And neural tube developments happens just around four weeks gestation, which, you know, is really only two weeks after conception. So that's super, super early before women even know they're pregnant a lot of the times, um, which is why doctors often recommend taking prenatal vitamins for at least three months before conception. Like, you know, if this is a planned pregnancy and like you're able to take that into account although really I've heard a lot of people say that women should just take prenatal vitamins all the time, like just every day, even when you're not trying to get pregnant, because it's healthy for you. And also just in case you were to get pregnant, because you know, half of all pregnancies are unplanned. And so why not just be healthy for yourself and for your child, just take folate, take magnesium, take B vitamins, like, just be healthy anyway, um, mm-hmm. just in case you were to get pregnant. And like, you know, all the important development really happens during the first trimester. Like everything is in place by 12 weeks. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you might as well just have all the vitamins and minerals because you're going to need them right away anyway. Right. Be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Um, And then I think another huge thing that people don't realize with birth control is so, you know, how at least to hookup culture because it creates that false mentality that like you're not going to have a child that you can have this consequence free sex and so you know it's creating hookup culture which also leads to a rise in STIs. Untreated STIs is actually a huge cause of infertility that I feel like no one has tapped into Um, but I found this article from Very Well Health and they say that you know untreated STIs are causing infertility in both men and women and female and male infertility is actually equally common so about 33% of all infertility is attributed to female factor. Another 33% is attributed to males and another 33% is considered unexplained. And so I would imagine the unexplained factor is like split pretty evenly between the two considering the statistics that we have thus far. Um, And so apparently untreated STIs specifically is more likely to cause female infertility than it does in males because males normally have symptoms from STIs or they're more likely to have symptoms from STIs, but for women, the most common symptom is asymptomatic. So you don't even know if you have chlamydia or gonorrhea or anything else. So if you don't know you have it, you don't know you need treatment. Um, And so in females, an untreated STI can cause a lot of inflammation, like pelvic inflammatory disease, and then also scarring in the fallopian tubes and other reproductive organs. So it makes it hard for sperm to reach the egg. So scarring in the fallopian tube can also cause ectopic pregnancies, which like, you know, another form of infertility is not just not being able to conceive, but also not being able to carry pregnancies to term, continually having issues with endometrial lining and miscarriages, continually having ectopic pregnancies, You know, continually having some sort of issue that makes it very, very difficult for you to have a live birth. So even if something is causing a lot of ectopic pregnancies, that can also be considered a form of infertility because like you can't carry that to term. And so if something is causing scarring in your fallopian tubes and causing ectopic pregnancies, that's a huge issue. Um, and then for men, it says that the epididymis and then the urethra can be damaged by an untreated STI leading to fertility problems Um, and the epididymis is the long tube that transports sperm um, from the testicles so yeah that's just a huge thing that people need to know about.
1: It's so interesting how like there's so much coming from like this actual revolution and everything that really has played into infertility right and Mm -hmm. um and and it's just like it's like there's you know you know obviously like you know from a christian perspective it's just like obviously the devil doesn't want children right because children Mm -hmm. are blessing children are um warriors against the devil right and so Mm -hmm. there's just so many what can come across as like small ways but they're massive ways in which we are encountering just this increase in infertility like a huge increase in infertility and a part of that like you said like Mm no one really thought of that you know but like you know because of the hookup culture we've created right the increase in Mm -hmm. um and the increase in all these sexually transmitted mis- transmitted diseases suddenly, you know, are are everywhere, yeah. right? And I was, I was, yeah. I was at a doctor's office a couple of days ago, and it was just so funny because they were playing this ad, you know, how they're always playing mm-hmm. these ads for safe sex and these different things you can drink and stuff. And I'm sitting here like, mm-hmm. funny how people need that, right? Funny how mm-hmm. some, funny how this guy is in a commercial taking this drink because oh he's probably gonna have sex that night or something with some random lady from a bar you know that's what my head's thinking yeah. like mm-hmm. why would you why would you want to be that actor you know first of all but, you, know, yeah. you know okay but second of all yeah. like you know it's just a really really interesting
2: interesting point there yeah um infertility rates have especially skyrocketed since the invention of hormonal contraception. So now one in eight couples struggle with infertility. Um, and so keep in mind, infertility is defined as being unable to conceive a child within a year of trying. So it's taking at least one in every eight couples over a year. And for a lot of them, it's many more, you know, it's five years, 10 years, and a lot of them never end up getting their child. And it's something so hard for them to wrestle with. Cause like they just so desperately want one. So. That's such an interesting
0: point, Morgan. And I have a, a question as a bit of a speculation rather than like a yeah. for certain type of thing. But, you know, I think I, a question that comes up in my mind, too, is I think because of what like this third or fourth wave of feminism we're in is mm-hmm. doing in our culture, encouraging women that you know, you shouldn't have children because it's going to be, you're going to hate it. It's going to be an awful life. You're going to lose all your accomplishments. <laughs> you're going yeah. you know, to get married too young, all these things. One side effect of delaying family and marriage, which is something that's mm-hmm. been significantly delaying more and more. Um, psychologists mm-hmm. now believe there's a new phase of human development, the um, emerging adulthood stage, which didn't mm-hmm. exist before. Like This is between adolescence and young adulthood. Now we have emerging wow. adulthood because we can't grow up just yet. We're not ready to grow up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But basically that time where people go to college and they get their career settled and none of those things are inherently bad, of course. But Mm -hmm. when we have this mentality that, you know, family is like, all right, when I'm really like ready to do a boring life, I'll go get married and not have kids. You know, Mm -hmm. when I'm ready to give up all the enjoyable parts of my life, I'll do that. But one issue that that's created is once people get married and if they, you know, go on the contraceptive pill for quite a while, women get off and say, Mm -hmm. you know what? I'm 38. I'm ready to ditch the pill a little bit and see if I can have a child. Mm -hmm. Women are really surprised how much their fertility has declined when they're in their mm-hmm. mid to late 30s. And then 40s, it can be very low to infertile at that point for some women. Yeah. So, would you, What would you say about those trends in our culture and how um, delayed marriage, delayed parenthood, which sometimes parenthood is delayed forever intentionally, you know, in our mm-hmm. culture? How would you say that has played into an increase in fertility that's unexpected, like the shocking infertility when a woman is in her late 30s and she's just so surprised she figured her fertility would be there for her when she wanted it way later?
2: Yeah. So it did decades ago used to be easier, significantly easier to conceive a child in your late thirties and forties actually, because you had already established a history of fertility and healthy pregnancies in your twenties and early thirties. So if you've already had like, you know, seven kids between the ages like 20 and 35, you actually do have a pretty significant chance of being able to conceive in your late thirties or even forties, because you've actually been like actively using your your ovaries. You've been actively using your um, uterus to produce children, healthy children, time and time again throughout your lifetime. And so your body's just used to that at that point, your uterine muscles are used to it. Your ab muscles are used to growing a human being and having to expand. Your Mm -hmm. ovaries are used to being able to function the way they're supposed to. And so if you've been taking care of it your whole life, you've been stewarding that creation your whole life, it's gonna be pretty easy to continue with that. In the same way, you know, if you've been building up big muscles your whole life. It's gonna be pretty easy to continue it. You're just used to it at that point. Your body's used to it at that point. Um, But if you continually suppress something, you're not gonna get it back later. It's just like, you know, if you continually bleach your hair, your hair is not going to grow right back. It's going to be really dead. You're going to have a lot of dead ends. Um, mm-hmm. If you like, pluck the heck out of your eyebrows for 10 years, they're not going to grow right back. Like eventually mm-hmm. you're just going to get, you're going to be stuck with them forever like that. And so if you do have a lot of children early in life, then yeah, you could actually have children in your later thirties and forties. Cause like you didn't suppress anything. You were actively using what you were supposed to. Um, but if you wait too long and you've been suppressing it, then your chances are really, really slim at that point. Mm. and that's really heartbreaking
0: for a lot of women
1: yeah and I think think along with that too I think something that plays into that and you know I don't know what it was like before the 1950s obviously yeah um but like women know nothing about their cycles right anymore Mm -hmm. very you know there is a very niche group of women I feel like that do know a little bit more about their cycles and I do think that niche is growing um Mm -hmm. but but the sad reality is it's not taught in your schools. You're not, you mm-hmm. know, sexual education, you know, you're whatever that, edu- you know, educating any woman about her body is it, the, there doesn't seem to be really any education going on there. It's more of, you know, like from what I've heard, I didn't go to public mm-hmm. school. From what I've heard, it's really yeah. just like, here's how this works. Let's scare you with the really scary a labor video or something mm-hmm. and here's a condom so you don't have a child you know like you know like oh you know and or you know or encouraging the pill or something it's not like a woman is being taught her value right it's not like mm-hmm. a woman is being taught the value of her fertility the value of what it means to be a woman right mm-hmm. um and then a, a lady from age 13 12 13 by everybody is being told that the most important part of her the thing that makes her so like you know that is just a beautiful part of her I'm not saying oh that just makes you you know I'm not saying your fertility is what makes you beautiful but Mm -hmm. a beautiful part of you a part that shows the the very sign of your health as a woman you're being told Mm -hmm. 12 to 13 that it needs to be shut down that it's Mm -hmm. not valued, that it's small that it's tiny and so not only are you telling women that the very sign of her health the very sign of her being a healthy beautiful and joyful individual is wrong Mm -hmm. that it should be shut down you're you know you're, you're telling her you're telling the woman that she's not important you're telling her that Mm -hmm. she shouldn't be valued that no one should take a moment of time and actually go through what's actually going on with her that no one should take a moment of time and 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 sit with her and talk her through her cycle to talk her through what a sign what the sign of health is for her right and so then Mm -hmm. a woman doesn't appreciate what it is to be a woman she doesn't appreciate her monthly period and she hates Mm -hmm. That one sign of the beauty of womanhood that she gets every single month and she shuts it down. So now we have a slew of not only women not understanding their fertility, but now women don't understand their value. And now we're at a point in culture where we don't know what a woman is. Because of that Mm -hmm. very reason, and so we've seen that over time, and it Mm -hmm. plays right into fertility and infertility and everything. If a woman doesn't understand Mm -hmm. how to support her cycle, how to support her her own health, when she's been lied to on what health really is, or what a sign of health is, you know, I feel like so many women think it's a sign of health not to have their period anymore Mm -hmm. Mm than it actually have their period. And so by the time they are thirty-eight, and they try to get off the pill, not only now does it not grow back but they don't know how to get it back they don't know how to yeah. support their help anyway whatsoever and so that's just such a that's such a real it's a real issue that we're dealing with and that's why you know we have a podcast um and mm-hmm. just to jump back in a little bit more to some of your so you know talking about the pill and infertility morgan mm-hmm. um yeah. I have a little question. Um, Does birth control, do you think, or maybe you have facts or anything? Yeah. Birth control affect women who aren't on it to be infertile as well.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. So when women are on birth control and, you know, there's synthetic estrogen in that, and there is progestin in that, which is synthetic progesterone and synthetic progesterone or progestin um, does not help you be more fertile. It only helps you be more infertile, which is why, you know, they put it in birth control. Um, you excrete those hormones in your urine, and then those hormones go into our water supply. We all drank it, um, men and women actually. So now you are drinking small amounts of synthetic estrogen and progestin, and that is only shutting down ovulation or making it more difficult for you to ovulate. It's not like you're like full on, on birth control or something like that. Um, but it messes with your body's own production of its own estrogen and progestin or progesterone. And so what you need is primarily estrogen during your follicular phase, which is the pre-ovulatory phase. And then you need primarily progesterone during the luteal phase, which is the post-ovulatory phase. And so if you have way too much estrogen, that is going to start canceling out your progesterone. It's going to start lengthening your follicular phase, like that pre-ovulatory time. It's going to keep pushing ovulation back and back. So you're going to have a longer and longer follicular phase, the more estrogen you have in your body. And then a shorter and shorter luteal phase, the less progesterone you have as a result of that. And so if you're ovulating way too close to when your period starts, like you might be able to conceive, but then that baby can't implant because you start your period way too soon. So it takes about five to 10 days for an implantation to really secure itself for the embryo to really secure itself in the endometrium. And so like, let's say you have a 25 day cycle. If you now have a super long follicular phase at 20 days, and then you ovulate, you know, on day 20, then you only have five days. To secure that implantation for the embryo to really secure itself into the endometrium, and so if that's the case, you've only got a five-day luteal phase. That's really short, um, and you know you could um, secure that implantation within five days, but a lot of times it takes up to ten days for it to like really secure itself in there. So you could very easily be experiencing pre-implantation miscarriages and not even know it because you know at that stage the baby's like the size of a grain of sand. You wouldn't be able to see it even. Um, so yeah, because of all those hormones in the water that we're drinking every day, men and women, um, pushing back our luteal phase, lengthening our follicular phases, pushing back ovulation. We now have lots of pre-implantation miscarriages that are happening and just overall estrogen dominance that makes it harder to ovulate to begin with. Yeah. So yeah, (laughs) that's kind of a lot. Um,
1: Oh, it's a, it's a real, real issue. And it's a, sad
0: it's a sad issue so sad (laughs) it's one thing when a woman is like i want that in my body i know it's a risk i know i might have a stroke but i'm gonna take it anyway (laughs) when us ladies are like i do not want hormonal contraception in my body but we drink water and so we Mm -hmm. can end up with estrogen dominance and problems in our cycle that are really sad results of our culture, you know, so Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Morgan, if a woman is going through infertility, rather that's because she's getting off her birth control pill and her body is learning to have a normal cycle again, and it's not going very quickly, or maybe a woman has never used contraception and she has infertility for a different reason. What resources Mm -hmm. are there for women who
2: are infertile? So there is NAPRO technology, which people do not talk about enough. So NAPRO stands for natural procreative technology. And so it is basically the um, more effective more affordable and more ethical alternative to in vitro fertilization or intrauterine insemination. And Um, we pause a second.
0: We're going to tell us why would you not advise someone to use IVF? Like just out of curiosity, because that is a quick thing people turn to typically.
2: Yeah. So that's like what almost every doctor in the world would recommend now for infertility. Well, they recommend IUI first, just because like it's cheaper and it's just like easier to try that a couple of times. And then they go to IVF after like two rounds of IUI.
0: Will you explain both of those? Sorry, just in case our listeners haven't heard of them for some reason.
2: Yeah. So IUI or intrauterine insemination is when they transfer a sperm into the woman's uterus in hopes that that's going to fertilize an egg. So like, they plan this so that they do it right at the time she's ovulating so that way there's an egg to be fertilized. So they will just... um, You've probably seen, like, maybe you guys have seen the show, Jane the Virgin. She got intrauterine insemination, not even intentionally, if that's, like, the point of the show. Um, But yeah, so they just, like, implant a sperm in there. Hopefully it'll fertilize the egg. And then with in-vitro fertilization, which is exponentially growing in popularity, um, that is when they pump a woman full of various hormones, trigger shots, anything to stimulate ovulation, something to stimulate the follicles. Then they go in there and do what they call an egg retrieval, which is when they take this tiny thin catheter and they suction off as many eggs as they can get. And they're trying to get as many as possible. So generally they get like 20 to 30. Um, I would say any like good IVF cycle, like a, like a thorough egg retrieval that was a success would be like at least 15 eggs, but it's pretty common for them to get 20 to 30. Um, almost all of them will be immature. And so they'll fertilize all of them. And so like on average, they'll get like 15 to 20 children and they're not going to implant all of them at once, obviously, because like no one wants 15 to 20 children in one pregnancy. Um, but what they do is they do pre-implantation genetic testing, which is when they suction off just like two to five cells per embryo. Once they reach blastocyst stage, they test those for abnormalities. About half of them, I would say have abnormalities abnormalities. So then they throw away, they discard human beings that have any kind of genetic abnormality that they don't want. Um, And then they'll freeze the remaining ones because at that point, you know, on average, you'd have like eight left. Um, They don't want to implant all eight at once and you have to freeze them. You can't just like leave them sitting on the Petri dish forever. Um, Cause you have to implant them somewhere between day five and seven. You can't just like let them sit there for years. So you have to freeze them. One third of all embryos die in the freezing and thawing process. Mm-hmm. So then they take the remaining embryos, like they'll transfer about two at a time. They used to do like three or four, a couple decades ago, they realized that that's a little bit too risky because like triplet and quadruplet pregnancies are always really high risk, Um, but twins are not too bad. So they often will transfer two at a time just to kind of like kill two birds with one stone. Um, just so they don't have to go through as many cycles, like as much medication. So they'll transfer like, two embryos at once. Sometimes just one will take, sometimes it's both. A lot of times it's neither. Most of the time it's neither. Um, so the average success rate, and by success I mean like the implantation rate of an embryo is only 3.4%. Only 34 oh. When you look at the American Life League statistics, you'll see a lot of places will say that like their success rate for an IVF cycle is 15%, but that's taking into account that they're transferring multiple embryos. Like there are still plenty of places that will transfer three or four embryos at a time. It's not that that's like unheard of now. There's still plenty of fertility clinics that use that strategy. Um, So when they say an IVF transfer was a success, that only means that one embryo had to implant. They might've transferred four, but only one implanted. So they're like success. I'm like, 75% just died. Wow. Um, So they consider that a success nonetheless. So when you really break down their statistics, you actually find that only about 3.4% of embryos actually survive. between dying on the Petri dish, just trying to make it to blastocyst stage on their own, the freezing process, the thawing process, the discarding process, the transfer process. There's so many different places in the process where they are discarded or they just die off because of the unnatural circumstances they're forced into. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, really the only successful ones, um, are 3%. Wow. Heartbreaking. IVF is
0: an extremely like, um, morally a sad and difficult issue. And I know that we may have listeners, especially we have Protestant listeners, um, Protestants don't take a lot of time to, in my opinion, take time to think and discern about like what, um, if IVF is good and moral or not very similar to the contraception. We don't hear a lot of like black and white conversations about contraception and Protestantism. It's very like, Oh, whatever, maybe it's fine. Maybe it's not same with, um, with IVF. And I'm so glad Morgan that you described this whole process because we've heard so many embryos actually die. Many, yeah. some die naturally, some die because they are purposefully killed in IVF clinics, either be through being yeah. thrown away or I was in an nine physiology class in college. And my professor was urging all of us. If you one day do IVF, make sure to donate your extra embryos to science, which will also kill them. So, you know, that's legal and there's no law that protects embryos. So if they mm-hmm. want to put them in the garbage, there's absolutely zero ramification to doctors that want to do that.
2: Yeah, and it's very weird the way some state laws work with that. It's like there are some state laws that are against uh, donating embryos to science, but they let you just discard them. And I'm like, but if you donate them to science, you you kill them either way. I don't really get what the difference is. Like Exactly. <laughs> because like- <we're- laughs> science or you just straight up throw them in the trash. Either way, they're dying. So what does it really matter? So yeah, some state laws are weird about that. Um, It's also just heartbreaking how many times you'll hear Republicans speak against embryonic stem cell research, but not IVF as a whole, even though the entirety of IVF is really just as deadly as specifically embryonic stem cell research, because either way they're dying. What does it really matter what we do with the embryos after they're dead, whether they're in the trash or used for experimentation, they're dead either way. Wow. It's so heartbreaking.
0: I Wow. I think we'll have to have you come back and talk about with us about IVF for a whole episode, because I think it's a very yeah. important issue. What would you say kind of going in back into like NAPRO, how can women, if they don't want to go through this, they've heard you talk about, oh my goodness, like, wow, I, I don't want, you know, 97% of my embryos to die in an mm-hmm. IVF cycle. <laughs> so how? what are the other options? Do I only have the option to go to this morally concerning like process of IVF where 97% of the children who are conceived of my own might just die? Or is there anything else I can do about my infertility?
2: Yeah. So in the 1960s, Dr. Hilgers developed this thing called Napro technology off of Creighton. Creighton is a type of natural family planning. So there are a few different types of natural family planning, but specifically cretin charts would be the most helpful if you're going to pursue an technology like they could use like marquette charts or symptothermal or something but it'd be most helpful if you use cretin because it was just developed off of cretin and so they can catch progesterone deficiencies that's a super super common thing i feel like that's the the leading cause of infertility that they catch all the time it's a fairly easy thing to catch because they'll just see oh you have a really long follicular phase and a really short luteal phase you probably have a progesterone deficiency Let, let us test your levels with a full hormone panel and we can see all your levels and chances are you're going to have a progesterone deficiency. And so you can get, um, supplements to take for that. You can get injections. Um, and they sometimes will give you these supplements or injections before pregnancy, during pregnancy, whenever, cause like it's helpful all the time. You need progesterone just all the time. Um, you can also do vaginal suppositories for progesterone as well. So there are a lot of different options, the supplements, the suppositories and the injections. Another thing is because PCOS is pretty common. They have this thing called a ovarian wedge resection, which is where they cut out a little slice of your ovary, kind of like a pizza slice, and they will stitch it back up. So they'll cut out like the most infected part that has like all the chronic cysts on it. So they'll cut that part out, stitch it back up. And actually 60% of all women who have an ovarian wedge resection will conceive within the next year, which is way higher than IVF success rate. So like on average, an IVF cycle only has a success rate of about 15%. And your odds of IVF, um, success like actually drop with like every cycle that you do because it only further proves like how infertile you are so like you might start with like a success rate of like 20 and then it drops to like 17 then 15 then 10 because like you just continue to prove like how many issues you have so like your rate of success drops with every cycle that you do um so like on average it's about a 15 percent success rate but with napro the success rates is um, they are 60 to 80% depending on like, what treatment you have, what issue you have. Like it varies if you have like endometriosis or PCOS or like unexplained infertility. Um, although really all infertility has a cause. Like this idea of like unexplained infertility is kind of a myth. Like it just means we can't explain it. It doesn't mean like it's not medically caused by anything. Like there are forces of course, is a reason we just don't know what it is. Um, another big thing for endometriosis, because that's also super common, about 10% of all women have it, possibly up to 20% have it, is an endometrial ablation surgery. Um, so they will use CO2 lasers in NAPRO to permanently burn off all the scar tissue, which is not what they use in the secular world when you get some sort of endometrial removal um, surgery. So in the secular world, they'll normally just like take a scalpel or some sort of tool just like cut out the scar tissue. They don't burn it off. They just like cut it out. And they also don't remove all of it. They'll remove like half, or like 75% and say like, oh, well, that's good enough to just like reduce your pain. They don't cut out like every little bit of it. But the thing is, endometrial scar tissue grows back like tumors. Like if you don't remove like all of the cancer, it will grow back. Even sometimes, you know, with cancer, if you do remove all of it, it can still grow back sometimes. But especially the scar tissue, if you don't take out all the scar tissue, it will manifest and get bigger and bigger. So which is why you need to use CO2 lasers to permanently burn off all the places where scar tissue is growing. So that way, it, it cannot grow back. Um, and so the success rates of conception are pretty high with that. Another thing is they can do a hysteroscopy. And I know hysteroscopies are sometimes done in the secular world as well. Um, but basically it's when they take a little camera and they look around inside your uterus for abnormalities, they'll look around at your uterine lining to see how thick it is. Um, cause like if it's too thin, there might be an infection. And if there is an infection, they can give you like an antibiotic for that. They could see if you have like, um, I would say primarily it's infections because like I know Melissa Tablata, who's like my favorite Creighton practitioner to follow on Instagram. She had infertility for a little while and she had a hysteroscopy and she also did a full hormone panel and they found out that she has hypothyroidism. So she needed to take iodine supplements to combat that. She needed to have a few vitamins added to her list as well. And then she also has extremely thin endometrial lining, or at least she did. So they put her on an antibiotic because apparently she had an infection for about three years that she didn't even know about. It was just like manifesting in wow. her uterus. And it actually caused her uterine lining to look so thin. It looked like that of a postmenopausal woman, which was like really concerning for her to hear. She's wow. like, well, it looks like it's postmenopausal. It's that thin. Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily the antibiotic cured that up and she's now pregnant with her second child. Oh, that's so exciting. So it was effective. Yes, it was very effective, actually. So Mm -hmm. there were about five months where they were told to stop actively trying for a baby because she needed to just take her supplements for a while, take her antibiotics, make sure the infection clears up. And then like right when they started trying, I think it was like the very first month they started trying again, they conceived right away. So yeah, it was very effective.
0: That's amazing. Wow. Mm -hmm. And also kind of going back to talking about the uterine ablation, was that also used for endometriosis?
2: Yeah. So that was endometriosis to burn off scar tissue.
0: (laughs) We also had um, a previous episode with Erica Denver and she talked about how actually they were going to do the procedure you described of cutting out scar tissue. And, Mm -hmm. you know, she is in her 20s and was told like, well, sorry, this may or may not work. You may never have any kids. And that's something she really hoped to do. She wanted to be a mother. And Mm -hmm. thankfully, she found a physician to do the uterine ablation and she got pregnant about a year after. So it it seems to be pretty effective for those who have it.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think that's really important to emphasize, like there are a lot of options, like whether you're on birth control right now, and want to get off of it and find something else for your health, maybe you're not married, maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're not married and trying to have children right now. But obviously, like, you know, birth control can be such a huge, um, just in- can increase um, levels of infertility, you know, so much. And so mm-hmm. like, you're so much and there's so many options and maybe you are trying to have you know um maybe you are trying to have a baby and um you haven't heard of napro and all these different you know all these different things that you can do Mm -hmm. different options there are these options um and um and you know anything's possible with god you know and give it you know Mm -hmm. give it a chance you know um and because he knows your health and he knows your cycle probably better than you do so Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah well morgan thank you so much for
0: coming to join us on the contraception today You have so much knowledge and I truly learn like each time that you come and share, you think that you were at least like some master's level student in public health or something (laughs) The way that you talk about. It's such a big passion. Um, So thank you for sharing that with us and for being willing to give so much hope to our listeners who might be in fertility, who might be on the birth control pill and maybe really fed up with it and ready for a change. Um, I think your Mm -hmm. words give a lot of hope. So thank you for coming. Yeah, Yeah. no problem. I had a good time.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah thank you so much thank you everyone for listening make sure if you have ever any questions that you might have for us make sure to reach out with those for sure and be sure to um get on the podcast if you're listening and like i have something to share and um maybe you've experienced one of these things that that morgan has talked about today well we want to share that we want to share that either you know maybe as a story of hope or a story a testimony to getting off birth control or just a testimony to one of these things working for you whether or not you were on birth and or not. If you have a testimony to share, here's a place that we have a place here for you to share so that you can inspire women um, and give the world just a little bit more hope and a little bit more joy. Thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you next week.